Friends tell friends things. We know this from the band REO Speedwagon and their hit song, Take It on the Run. In that case, friends were telling friends about infidelity. But they do get something right in that song. We trust what we hear from our friends. Today we're going to look at some news that gets spread around in the final verses of chapter 1 of John. And unlike REO Speedwagon's song, this is not about bad news. This is about some very good news. Let's read John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. And I do apologize that some of you do have REO Speedwagon playing in your head right now. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are the Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's the Word of God. What we read in John chapter 1 is the beginning stages of Christ's ministry where friends, brothers, and acquaintances share good news with each other concerning the person of Jesus. I love the inquisitiveness of Andrew and the other disciple as they want to figure out what does this Lamb of God thing mean? And I love the excitement of Philip after he meets Jesus to go and tell Nathanael. I love the awe of these men when they meet Christ. It leads them to do something. The, the excitement of meeting Jesus leads them to tell others about him. But what about us church folk? What about those who have gathered here at 5700 Homestead Road? <laughs> week after week, what do we think about Jesus? Is he just the guy who lived the perfect life for you? Is he just the guy who died on the cross for you? 
Is he just the guy who, who rose again? Is he just the guy that you've given your life to? Has he become old hat? Or are you still in awe of him? Are we, as a people, in awe of Jesus? Or do we just go through the motions of, yep, that's Jesus. Yes, this is his word. Yes, he died on the cross for me. So what? But we can get really excited about other things, other things that some of us could care less about. So, some of you have, have told me about the greatest pancake mix ever. There's been a few of you, so don't, don't think I'm picking on anyone in here. The Kodiak pancake mix. No GMOs, no gluten, tastes delicious. We tell people about that. Some of you are now fans of my favorite Mexican restaurant in Fort Wayne, Arcos, because I've taken you there. I'm an evangelist for Arcos. Some of you will relate to this, something from your past. You, you tell the story, like, when I was in high school, there was this guy named Dominic James. He played in Richmond, Indiana. He averaged about 30 points a game his senior year. The dude was listed as 5'10", but he was actually about 5'8". I've never seen a better athlete in my life. I went and saw him play for the Indiana All-Stars against the Kentucky All-Stars. They do this every summer. It's a big deal to be named an Indiana All-Star. Dominic James wasn't even Mr. Basketball. He's just on the team. They announce him. And I remember watching the, the, the warm-ups, and, and he's doing windmill duck, dunks like he's bored. He's like, boom. I've never seen anyone like this guy. And so they, they start announcing the teams, and they announce Indiana first. Then they announce Kentucky. And there was a guy for Kentucky that they listed him at seven foot, but he wasn't really seven foot. And I saw Dominic James. He whispered to one of his teammates, and again, he's a short guy, whispers up to one of his teammates and points to that guy, and I go, okay, i got to watch this. It was the first or second play of the game. Dominic James gets the ball. A 5'8 guy goes and jumps over this Kentucky player and dunks on him. And then he said, seven foot, yeah, right, and went down the court. You see the excitement about that? I like telling that story. I was there, I saw it, I beheld it. And all these years later, it's, it's been 15 years or more. I still tell it with excitement. What about when you met Jesus? Do you still tell the story about meeting Jesus with excitement? Are you in awe of what Christ has done for you on the cross? Friends, we talk about our interests all the time. But are we interested in Jesus? So our big idea for today, as we look at this last story in John 1, is a truth that your awe of Christ determines your excitement in telling others about him. So, so the measure of all that you have of Christ will lead to excitement of telling others about Jesus. If you're in all of Christ, you will be excited about Christ. You will want other people to know about Jesus. But if your measure of all is minimal, kind of like my tank of gas yesterday, the light was on, empty, you're not going to be telling others about him. You're not going to be excited about Jesus. Now, we don't use, 
usually use the word all. So what does it mean? Well, it connotes excitement and wonder. It's kind of like the old people who've been married for 50 plus years and still love each other, right? Just like when they first got married. It doesn't mean that they haven't had hard times or hardships, but they still are in awe. Wow, I'm married to the person that I love. Or, or the park ranger at the Grand Canyon who can't believe that their job is to wake up at the Grand Canyon every morning and behold one of the most majestic natural beauties on earth. That's all. Sustainable all. Do we have that when it comes to Christ? Well, I think we should, and I think John chapter 1 shows us that if we have a great all of Christ, we're going to have a great excitement in telling others about him. It's just an overflow of our hearts. So let's start with the very first person we see in John 1, 35 through 51, and that's John the Baptist. We, we talked about John the Baptist the last two weeks, but here we see John's all of Christ. This is John the Baptist, all of Christ. Look at what he says. So it's the next day. He's already testified about Jesus. He's already said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, back in verse 29. And he's standing with two of his disciples, and Jesus just happens to walk by, and John is in awe of who Jesus is and doesn't really care who can hear it, right? He says, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, we talked a little bit about why that's significant last week. We talked a little bit about why the Lamb of God, that title for Jesus, is significant. It's significant because for the Jewish people, they have spent their entire lives seeing lambs sacrificed for their sins. In fact, their, their whole people's history for, for the last thousand plus years goes back to wandering in the desert. The Lord told Moses to build a tent, a tabernacle, and to have an altar. And for the sins of the people, to make atonement before God, they would sacrifice a lamb who then would take away their sins. But the problem is they would have to do that continually over and over and over again. And so the Jewish people who are out in the middle of nowhere being baptized by John, a baptism of repentance, they realize they are dirty, rotten sinners and they need to be right with God. They're being baptized and John says, here's the person who will take away your sins. That's important for us. Because what the lamb represents, yes, is Jesus, but it represents a sufficiency that comes only from God. God provides the lamb. Some of you feel so insufficient where you're at, whether it's being a father or a mother. You feel insufficient in your work. You feel insufficient in raising your children. You feel insufficient and in just trying to figure life out. And the fact of the matter is, friends, we're not sufficient in and of ourselves. And so we, we are filled with shame and guilt because our, of our insufficiency. But behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, we're not sufficient in and of ourselves to get to God. We're not sufficient in our, of ourselves to live great lives or, or let alone perfect lives. 
But Jesus Christ was sent by God to be the all-sufficient Savior for you and me. And John knew that, and he testifies about that sufficient Savior. Not only does he say a theological truth, and not only is he in awe of Jesus, but he also is humble. He doesn't care who hears that that person, that person right there, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that is the person that you have salvation in, not in in himself. That's strange because most of us, we don't have thousands of people following us, thousands of people coming out to the middle of nowhere to be baptized, to hear us speak. But that's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has two of his disciples, two men who he is very close with, and he doesn't care who gets the glory here. He says, that right there, that man is the Lamb of God. And so what happens in the rest of the text, we know that these two disciples, they stop following John the Baptist and they start following Jesus. That humility is a great example for us in this day and age where we might not have thousands of people literally following us and coming to our homes and and listening to us speak. This is a social media age where I, I venture to say many of you on Facebook have hundreds if not thousands of people who follow your information. You might have Twitter or Instagram or anything else. And what's so contrary with John the Baptist is that his awe of Christ led to a humility that we don't have in this day and age. We want our 15 minutes of fame. We want to be able to stand on a stage and say, look at me. And John isn't saying, look at me. He says, look to Christ. How do we leverage? Because most of you in here have some type of social media account. How do we leverage that, like John the Baptist leveraged his audience for Jesus? He didn't give a second thought. He knew that life wasn't about him, it was about Christ. And he loses two of his followers, and he loses a lot more over this. How often do you spend posting selfies? How often do you spend posting pictures of your family? How often do you spend posting pictures of your new shirt or what you're eating or your pets compared to posting about Christ? I'm not saying that uh, you're bad or your family's bad or pets are bad or food is bad. I really don't believe food is bad at all. But our social media reveals to us what we are in awe of what we want our lives to be like, what our perfect world exists of. And friends, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you, our perfect world and what we would be in awe of is not Jesus. So how can we make it better? I think we need to learn from John the Baptist an all of Christ leads to humility and leads to proclaiming Jesus above ourselves. And what if we, the people just in this room, started leveraging what we have for Christ? If we started leveraging our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, our whatever, if we start being Jesus people, first and foremost, more than anything else, What if? 
Secondly, we see in this text not just John the Baptist's all of Christ, but his all of Christ then leads to Andrew and, this is where it gets confusing, John's all of Christ. Now, some of you might say, I don't see another John listed. Well, there was two disciples, and we know that one of the disciples is named Andrew. I believe that John, the author of this book, starts off where he starts off because that is when he first met Jesus. Okay, that's speculation. That's Chase Ringler studying. It's not in the text, but it's kind of there. Because John never mentions his own, he never mentions his own name in this at all, except for saying the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Andrew goes and gets his brother, and we know James is one of the first followers of Jesus, James, the brother of John. And so it makes sense that Andrew and John both went and got their brothers. So there's two disciples here, nevertheless. One is at least Andrew, and I do believe that the other one is John. And they have an awe of Jesus. There's sand in there. They're with the most famous guy in Israel of that day. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And they start following Jesus. And this is kind of funny. I think the Bible can be funny sometimes, all right? And so they, they start to try to trail Jesus, kind of like ninjas, right? And Jesus, one, is God, so good luck trying to you know, <laughs> hide from him. You can't do it. And Jesus just turns around, and he looks at these two guys. And these are the first words of Jesus in the whole book of John. He says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? And Andrew and John, they don't really answer what they're seeking. They just say rabbi, which means teacher, so it's, they're being respectful. And they say, where are you staying? A.K.A. this is going to take a while. <laughs> and it's the 10th hour. And there's um, some commentators believe that the 10th hour was 10 a.m. Some commentators believe it was 4 p.m. Um, I, I think it was later on in the day because I think they, they spent the night with Jesus. They talked with him. And ask him questions. John said that you're the Lamb of God. What does that mean? It was a wonderful night. Because Andrew is left in awe of Jesus. And so the text tells us that Andrew immediately goes out and he gets his brother. And he says, come here. You've got to meet this guy. Come here. Come with me. And I, I feel bad for Andrew. I am an oldest child, okay? So I have a younger brother named Grant. And Grant was always Chase's brother. And we see Andrew, um, poor Andrew, he gets introduced. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, immediately. Simon Peter's brother. <laughs> but we have to realize at this point in time, John's writing later on in the first century, People knew who Peter was. Peter had already more than likely given his life in following Jesus and had planted churches all over the Mediterranean. People didn't necessarily know who Andrew was, but they knew who Peter was. And so immediately, Andrew, this ordinary man, when he meets Jesus, is in all of Jesus, that his excitement about Christ boils over. He goes to his family. He goes to his brother and brings him to Christ. Do you know what Peter does? Yeah, Peter denies Jesus three times. Yeah, Peter's one of Jesus' disciples who 
He walks on water and falls in. Yeah, we give Peter a hard time. Peter was used by the Lord at Pentecost to bring 3,000 people to his church in one sermon. Peter planted churches all over the Mediterranean Sea. We still talk about Peter today. We don't talk about Andrew as much. But what about the ordinary all of an ordinary man when he meets Jesus? I look out in this room. I see mostly just ordinary people. Why? Because most people are ordinary, right? But what about the ordinary faithfulness, the ordinary obedience, that if we come and encounter Jesus, we are just faithful and obedient to tell others about him? Do we have family members that we can say, come to Jesus, come and just see him? Are we ordinary and faithful in that? Well, because of Andrew's ordinary faithfulness, we see his brother, Simon Peter, come to Christ. Now, he's first off called Simon, and we see that Jesus is a guy who likes to give nicknames, okay? And, and Andrew goes, and he says, we found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus in verse 42, and Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. And, and we know Andrew has been talking about his brother. My brother needs to hear this. So he goes and he gets him and he brings him back. And then he says, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So talk about confusing because Simon now has three names. Simon, Cephas, and Peter. We know him as Peter. That's the Greek word Petros, which means rock. Cephas is Aramaic. It means rock. The Lord uses him. And if any of you, are, you know, want a nickname, the Rock is a pretty good nickname, right? Are we in awe of Jesus? I'll never forget in 2006, uh, I, I say it like I own the team. I don't own the team, but I was in the Indy area. 2006, my Indianapolis Colts won the Super Bowl. It was technically in 2007, but 2006-2007 season. And I went to a Super Bowl party where most of my friends were there, and we watched the Super Bowl, and they beat, sorry, Bears fans, they beat the Bears. I was so excited. I went home, and I watched all the news coverage, and, and I was just so excited. I'm like, yes, the Colts won the Super Bowl. I stayed up way too late. Then I went to school the next day, and guess what? My friends and I, we all talked about the Colts. We talked about how excited we were that the Colts won the Super Bowl, even though we had all just seen the same game. We all watched the news coverage that night. Like, we all had seen that, yet we couldn't help but talk about the Colts won the Super Bowl. I was calling family members, even my grandma, who's not really a football fan, and telling her, Grandma Sally, the Colts won the Super Bowl. Did you see it? Friends, Jesus is way better than if your team were to win the Super Bowl. Here we are, 16 years later. I'm still excited the Colts won the Super Bowl. Have you known Jesus so long that he's become like a stale cracker? You know those saltines when you need saltines and you eat it and it's, oh, it's stale. It'll make do. Are we in awe of Christ like Andrew is? That he would tell his family members? He'd bring his brother to Jesus? 
Friends, are we excited about the gospel? Are we excited with the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? And he didn't stay dead, but he rose again. You see, we, we, we need to be excited about what Christ has done and excited about who he is because that's our salvation. But are we excited? So many of us think that the gospel is a one-time thing. Yeah, I've, I believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to just live my life. But the gospel is not a one-time thing. It is the foundation of our faith. That we can't build our house of faith on anything but the solid rock of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I'm so grateful for that. But do we wake up and do we think about that? Do we think about Jesus and who he is? Do we think about what he's done for us and that his mercies are renewed to us each and every morning and his faithfulness is renewed to us each and every morning that not only has he saved me once and forever from sins, but he saved me today. He is sufficient for me today and he's sufficient for me tomorrow. And I love the old Gaither song, Because He Lives. I about sang it, but we don't want that. But because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Do we embrace that gospel truth in our hearts? Andrew is an ordinary man just like you and I. He embraced that truth initially. And we know that for the rest of his life, he embraced that truth. Yeah, there was times where he stumbled. There was times that were hard. When, it reads, when we read in John about the disciples kind of messing up. Andrew's one of those disciples who messes up. Well, we know from church history that he gave his life because he was in awe of Jesus. Church history is littered with normal, ordinary people who are in awe of Jesus and give their lives to follow him. I'm reminded of a woman named Monica. Monica was a believer in Jesus Christ. Her husband was not. And she had a son that maybe you've heard of, Augustine. Augustine was very smart, but very sinful. And Monica prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and witnessed and shared the gospel with her son who rejected her over and over and over and over again. And Monica prayed and prayed and prayed. And she's a normal, ordinary person who was on all of Jesus and believed in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what? One day, her son, Augustine, trusted Christ. He's one of the greatest bishops of the ancient church in North Africa. We're grateful for ordinary people like Monica and like Andrew. And you never know what a mere awe of Christ by ordinary people can do. Faithfulness and obedience. We're grateful for the awe of Christ of Andrew. Now let's look at Next, at the all of Philip. Philip has an all of Christ. And the next day, and I hope you see that there's, there's a week here. So it says the next day and the next day and the next day. This is all happening like that. And, and Jesus decides to go to Galilee, and we know why. We'll talk more about that next week. He's invited to a wedding. But we see something spectacular. We see someone, Philip, who knew Peter and Andrew. Philip's from the same town as these guys. He probably is a boyhood friend of them. 
Peter has now met Jesus, and Andrew has met Jesus, and so naturally, guess what? They pull in at least an acquaintance, if not a good friend of theirs, and say, here is Jesus. But if you notice something different in this part of the text, Jesus actually comes to Philip. He's the only one that he actually comes to him. And he says, um, he found Philip. And he says to him, follow me. Follow me, simple instructions. And God had prepared Philip's heart to answer yes. And, and it's amazing what he does. He goes on to tell his friend Nathaniel. Now, we don't know much about Nathaniel. He's probably uh, the, the man who we refer to as Bartholomew in the other Gospels. Matthew 10, 3, Mark 3, 18, Luke 6, 14. But you see, Philip is told, hey, come and follow me. And he goes, and he follows Jesus, and he goes and finds Nathanael, and he says what? We have found the person that our whole Old Testament's talking about. We have found the person that Moses was talking about. We've found the person that the prophets have talked about. That prophet who was promised in Deuteronomy 18. Or the son of man who is promised about in Daniel 7. Or that servant who the Lord promised in Isaiah 40 through 55. We found him, Jesus, from Nazareth. And Nathaniel asked a valid question. And yes, some people say, okay, Nazareth, Nazareth was a podunk little town. It was. But he's not just saying, okay, that's a podunk little town. But Nathaniel knows his Bible. And Nathaniel knows that the Messiah is supposed to be from the house of David. That would be from Bethlehem or Jerusalem. Yet someone up north is, is claiming to be the Messiah. Are you sure about this, Philip? And Philip doesn't get into a debate with him. And we can learn something about Philip's all of Christ. It is Philip's all of Christ and his excitement about him to just be faithful and obedient to tell Nathaniel about Jesus, that he says, just come and see. Come and see. An invitation. And it is the awe of Philip that stimulates Nathaniel to come to Jesus. Friends, have you invited anyone to just look at the person of Jesus? If we look historically, there is no one more significant than Christ. He has literally changed the world. And if you, if you look at time or you look at uh, all sorts of different lists of most famous people in human history, Jesus is usually number one. And if he's not number one, he's number two, always. So Jesus is a question to human history, what do you do with him? Everyone has to have an opinion about Jesus. Some people say he's a prophet. Some people say that he's God. Some people say he's just a good teacher. Some people say that he was not. But what's a person's opinion about Jesus? Maybe they don't have an opinion yet. I don't know. Maybe he is Jesus. Maybe, or maybe he is God. Maybe he's not. Have you invited anybody to just figure out who he is? Maybe it's inviting them to church. Maybe it's inviting them to a Bible study with just yourself. Say, well, I would love to walk through the Gospel of John with you. We'll just read it. Because I think Jesus introduces himself over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. Maybe it's looking in a book. Maybe the Bible would, would be too offensive to them. Well, John Stott has a great book called Basic Christianity. It's not very big. I have a friend of mine who, I believe this was back in the late 1970s, 
he would go and he would have lunch at Pizza Hut three times a week, get the salad bar. And the manager would take his smoke break, because you could smoke in there back in the day, he'd go and he'd sit down with my friend. And they would talk. And he got, he got going about, uh, about Jesus. Hey, what do you think about Jesus? The man said, well, you know, I was raised Catholic. I don't, I don't really know. I guess, I guess he's God. And he said, look, I, I have a book. It's called Basic Christianity. Um, you want to read it with me? The guy said, sure. And so, so for the next four weeks, they just read through the book. It's not long. By the fourth week, my friend said, do you want to know Jesus? And the manager said, yes. Came to Christ. Friends, we, we have people in our lives that are on the fringe. Maybe we don't know their first name, but we see them often. Do we ask them about Jesus? Maybe we don't have all of Christ. If we, if we were to have all of Christ, we'd have excitement about saying, do you know this person? I've met a few people who have celebrity family members. And if you ever met one of those people, to let you know who that celebrity is, right? And, and there was not a bigger celebrity to me when I was in late high school or college than Tim Tebow, Christian athlete. And if I was related to Tim Tebow, I would have told everybody, hey, I know Tim Tebow. You want to meet him? right? We know someone much, much greater than Tim Tebow. We know somebody much greater than your most famous person. We all have our niches, right? I was going to use a pastor as an illustration, but I think most of you would be like, okay, big whoop, he's just a pastor. <laughs> he's the savior of the world. He's the creator of the world. He's the sustainer of the world. We know him. We should want others to know him. So finally, we see not only Philip's all of Christ, but Nathaniel's all of Christ. He's intrigued by Philip's excitement. Philip is excited. You see in verse 46, he asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And so then Jesus sees Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. That's a, that's a typical greeting. Behold an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. That was a typical greeting of their day. But it also talks about Nathaniel's character. Nathaniel wanted to know truth. Nathaniel was quick to say, well, uh, this Savior is supposed to be from Bethlehem. This Savior is supposed to be from the line of David. Nazareth is far from Bethlehem, far from David's house. And Nathanael goes, hold on, how do you know about me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And it must have been miraculous. I've read this text several times, and I thought, what if Jesus just happened to like look over and go, okay, there's Nathanael, he's underneath the fig tree. Jesus said himself, it's not that big of a deal that he saw Nathanael under the fig tree, but for Nathanael, those were the exact right words for him to be in awe of Christ. And what does Nathanael proclaim? Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus says, 
Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? And then, and here's where knowing Greek helps a little bit. He says you. And we think he's just talking to Nathaniel, but in the Greek it's plural. It's y'all. Y'all will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you all, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus talking about? (laughs) I love this story. So, you guys remember in the Old Testament, uh, there was some contention, right? There was Esau and there was Jacob. Jacob means heel grabber, liar, conniver. And, and he stole his brother's blessing uh, twice over, and his parents send him away. Like, your brother's going to kill you, you need to leave. And so Jacob, when, when he's on his journey to his uncle's house, he lays down at a place, place known as Bethel, Bethel house of God. And he lays down on this rock, and then we get the children's song from this story. Jacob's Ladder, right? We call it Jacob's Ladder. Why? Because there was angels ascending and descending up into heaven. But if we look at Genesis 28, 13, it can be translated that the Lord stood above him. Now, some of our modern translations say the Lord stood above it. I believe that it's the Lord stood above him. Because Hebrews 1.6 tells us that angels had to always pay homage to Christ. And I believe that a pre-incarnate Christ stood right above Jacob. And the angels, because they have to, to worship their Lord, their God, are coming up and down from heaven. That's the only reason they would have come up and down from heaven. And they're bowing down to Jesus as he stands above Jacob. Why did Jesus do that in the Old Testament? Because he was standing between God and man. And once again, Jesus says that the heavens are going to be opened up and he is once again going to stand between God and man. And Jesus says, you, you want to see something great? You just wait. And and. There's many great miracles. Jesus feeds 5,000, at least 5,000 people out of nothing. Jesus heals people born blind. Jesus raises some people from the dead. But the greatest act of Jesus Christ is him standing in between God and man on the cross. And as he stood on the cross, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is at the cross that we see our perfect substitution We see Jesus standing there, going where you and I could not go, paying for what you and I could not pay for, and conquering what you and I could not conquer. Death, sin, and the devil. And Jesus would rise again. And Jesus is that intermediary between God and man. And he says, the Son of Man, which goes all the way back to Daniel 7, And we see at the end of days that the Ancient of Days will be crowned. And then after the Ancient of Days is crowned, behold, there comes one like the Son of Man. And he gets crowned by the Ancient of Days. And every tribe, tongue, and nation praises this Son of Man because he has stood between God and man and has been victorious. That is who our Jesus is. 
Are you in awe of him? He's doing all this for the glory of God. He's doing all this to reconcile you to God. As we talked about on Good Friday, 1 Peter 3.18, the, the righteous one for the unrighteous peoples to bring us to God. That is who our Savior is. And friends, if you are in awe of that Savior, it's going to lead to excitement and telling others about him. Are you in awe of Christ? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your word, your gospel, and your truth. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be with us. May we be in all of you and have a passion about you. I feel like so often, Lord, even in my own heart, my heart can get stale. I can end up in the doldrums of life, not concerned about you or your word or your gospel. And that leads to a diminishing awe of you, which leads to zero excitement about who you are and what you've done. and leads to me not finishing the task that you have called me to. Please forgive me. And Lord, I pray for my friends, my church members, Lord, the people of God who are gathered in this place, Lord, we don't behold you in awe enough. The cross has become old news to us. Lord, may it not be. May it not be so, Lord. May we be in all of you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray and thank you. Amen.